0: Hello, and welcome to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. I'm Associate Editor Aaron Marsh, and I recently spoke with Lawrence Pruss, Senior Vice President at Memphis, Tennessee-based Strategic Resource Management, a consulting firm to financial institutions and others in areas such as digital transformation, payments, and artificial intelligence. SRM has a new service called Cryptocurrency and Blockchain for Financial Services. And I heard from Lawrence about the new service and the opportunity here for banks and financial institutions and what they could lose if they remain on the sidelines. Lawrence, um, tell me about this new service. Um, What is it?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, So this is something we started about a month ago as a result of demand from our clients uh, our journey around cryptocurrency really started about a year ago. Uh, a lot of that came out of us hearing some announcements about PayPal launching the crypto trading uh, business. And I kind of followed that. I was amazed at how many people, I think there was like 48 million people started trading the month following. And then they net, added net new, like 14.5 million net new customers the quarter afterwards. and. About that same time I was seeing those announcements around PayPal, my kid, one of my kids came into my office and asked, Hey, Dad, do you own any Bitcoin? I said, No, actually, I don't. But you know, I just saw this thing about PayPal and you're asking me about Bitcoin. Maybe I better look into it. So we started looking into it and we started down this path, which is really an education effort internally, because I figured if PayPal was getting into this, there's probably enough demand in the marketplace that this might end up impacting financial services outside of obviously fintech. So we started doing some research internally. We ended up building up a, a group called Crypto University. We met every other week to talk about everything related to crypto and how it might have an impact on financial services. And if, after a few months of that, we started getting requests from our clients to have similar sort of conversations, trying to understand crypto serv- uh, cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance and what might be the impact to them. And so uh, we started on that education effort probably a couple months or so ago, have had a lot of conversations. I have probably maybe a dozen conversations with C-level folks every week and then uh, probably do about a half a dozen presentations at various conferences. And we've really seen a lot of demand from an education standpoint. And then we started getting questions from our clients about how would you implement this what would this mean from an interest, non-interest, income standpoint? How would it benefit their clients? And then it kind of led us to believe, well, maybe there's actually some, some demand from a consultancy, advisory services standpoint. And so we launched this business, and we've had uh, lots of demand, and we're uh, about as busy as we could possibly imagine.
0: Hmm. Um, so if I'm a financial institution, I'm a bank, um, and I'm and I'm thinking about the crypto space right now, uh, what might the opportunity look like for me? I mean, what, what would be my incentive to get, get involved in this, and how would I do that?
1: Yeah. So a, a couple of opportunities. I think most of them probably get into this either because they've heard it on the news, or they've been looking at their ACH outflows, and they're realizing that the vast majority of their ACH outflows are going to the crypto exchanges. So they're kind of putting two, to two together and say, wow, this is, this is going to be impactful to our business because we're losing deposits, and obviously deposits are a source of of lending. So a lot of them have have realized uh, that crypto is starting to impact their business line, just in terms of taking deposits away. That kind of leads them to look into, well, what's the opportunity around crypto? We've actually seen a couple of financial institutions start to get into offering crypto services. One of the first ones, first FDIC-insured institution in the U.S., was a bank called Vast Bank out of Oklahoma. And when they launched, they saw basically eight weeks post-launch a 25% increase in their net customer base. So, really a lot of growth. But the opportunity is just, isn't just defending their deposits, but there's opportunities to drive uh, non-interest income in terms of trading revenue, uh, interest income in terms of lending against crypto. First, there's a huge first-mover advantage, so there's an opportunity to gain additional clients and market share. Um, you know i i've got crypto on my my phone and i can't I mean, i'd be embarrassed to tell you how many times i looked at my phone a day but there's a huge opportunity to incre- increase client engagement so like when paypal announced theirs they saw that their clients uh interacted with their app more than twice I'd, I'd say it's probably much more than twice what they had been interacting so that's an opportunity when you've got those eyeballs on your mobile or banking app is to be able to offered across all other sorts of products and services, maybe even education. And then the last piece, which isn't an opportunity but more of a avoiding kind of a, a downfall, is avoiding to being disintermediated. So what we're seeing with crypto is this whole world of kind of decentralized finance being built. It's gone from about a twenty billion dollar industry to about a hundred and ten billion dollar industry over the course of twelve months. And what's happening is is Uh, decentralized finance is using software to connect lenders and borrowers, which is what banks do. Um, But they're also doing not just lending and borrowing, they're doing trading, derivatives, synthetics, uh, insurance-type products, all without any bank involvement whatsoever. So we've got some real concern from our clients in terms of being disintermediated. And what I often tell them is, what's happening with decentralized finance, and crypto is making this possible, is the same thing that happened with the taxi industry and Uber, where Uber just said, hey, we're not a taxi industry, we're a software company. We're going to connect people who have cars to to drive and people who need rides. Well, you think about banking, we're just trying to connect people who have money to lend and people who have borrowing needs. And if that can be done with software, all of a sudden you realize it's a very competitive environment outside of just the fintech world, which has started and kind of biting at their heels for a number of years. Yeah.
0: Um, Lawrence, do you see this space as something that is uh, sort of heating up? I mean, we've seen interest in, the, in, in cryptocurrency trading certainly kind of skyrocket this year. Um, is this one of these situations where it's, it's probably better to think about this sooner rather than later?
1: So we've talked to a bunch of um, crypto firms. These are ones that are implementing solutions in the marketplace, working for financial institutions. A good example would be NYDIG. Uh, Coinbase is doing it. Fireblocks is a number of them, but it's anticipated somewhere between 500, maybe on the low end to high end, at least a 1,000 financial institutions are going to launch some sort of crypto service next year, whether that's crypto cust- custody, whether that's crypto trading, whether that's lending against crypto, whether that's uh, crypto rewards in terms of debit and credit cards or paying on interest. And so if we have a 1,000 or even 500 financial institutions launched next year, one that's going to hopefully start to win back business from the crypto exchanges. But anyone who doesn't do it is going to be at a severe disadvantage. So going back to that example of Bass Bank out of Oklahoma, they saw a 25% increase in their client base. That was a client base that took them 40 to 50 years to grow. They saw that increase in eight weeks because they were one of the first early adopters. So we're telling our clients, look, you don't want to be the one down the street that doesn't have a crypto trading platform when one of your competitors do. And so there's some stats right now, about 20 to 25% of Americans with investable assets hold cryptocurrencies. And uh, this is some stats from both NIDIG as well as Visa had some similar stats from, uh, they did a presentation a few weeks ago. But one of the things with people who have crypto you're holding these cryptographic keys. And if you're holding them yourselves, there's a lot of risk of them being lost, stolen, whatever. And so the majority of them, over 80% of people who, who have crypto would actually prefer to hold it with their financial institution rather than holding, it with say, a crypto exchange. Now, here's the other interesting part. Not only would 80% choose to hold it with their uh, financial institution, more than 70% of them would actually switch providers and go to another financial institution that offered that so there's the both the risk and opportunity because if you're not going to offer it and someone down the street does uh, you're gonna see a vast majority of your well that vast majority but probably 18 to twenty percent of your customers might move over the course of a few weeks and that's going to be pretty impactful
0: Wow um, so if I'm um, if I'm a bank if I'm a financial institution who that is looking to to get involved in this and and uh, wants to reach out to your service, can you help set up like a crypto trading? You know, can you recommend um, you know, vendors I should go with for what I'm looking to accomplish?
1: Absolutely. So we do a couple of things. Uh, there's, there's still a huge need for education. So that may be education at the C-suite level with the boards or even internal um, employees of that bank. So we offer those educational services often, often on a pro bono basis, just to get them understanding what is the risks and opportunities And we've been doing that for a while, and then what's grown out of that quite organically is them coming back to say, okay, we get it now, we see both the risk and opportunity. Can you help us develop a crypto go-to-market strategy? So that might be understanding what's out there in the marketplace today. So there's probably about a half a dozen to a dozen already implementations in the marketplace with various financial institutions, understand what are the products that they could potentially be choosing. So again, custodial services, trading, uh, rewards, lending, there's a number of others. Uh, Who are the providers in that space? And then how to set all this stuff up. So like, depending on your choices, it's very important how you make your choices around custodial services. And that can drive what you can do from a trading standpoint, that can drive what you can do from a lending standpoint. And so it's not just having a crypto solution out in market the fastest is having one that is going to be scalable, going to meet your customers' needs, and that's going to be competitive. Because if we see a 1, 1,000 banks launch crypto services next year, and they all launch a similar service. Maybe that service only offers a couple choices in terms of trading coins or, or cryptocurrency. If you're the one that launches it that gives you 12 options in terms of tra- trading, whether it's ETH, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, whatever it may be, and the bank down the street just offers bitcoin well, then you've got a competitive advantage so it's all about having the right strategy how do you get to market there's a number of vendors out there a number of good vendors and they can actually stand up a trading platform custodial services pretty quickly but it's but one of the other things we're finding is the people don't one know what to ask for or what they should be looking for in terms of building out these products and services but also how do these things price is it done from a revenue share standpoint are they getting a the part of the revenue that a trading firm is do, doing getting are they getting some kickback in terms of the custodial service costs um they don't really understand the pricing so our primary business for the last almost 30 years has been helping people negotiate with their third-party vendor relationships so we're not only understanding this corner of the business we're understanding how it works from a financial standpoint you know how much how many basis points can you make from holding custody how many basis points can you make on trading revenue? How much can you make from a lending standpoint? And then understanding how much the vendors might make versus how much the bank might make, and then make sure that they get a fair deal when it comes to selecting these vendors.
0: So where, um, where should this interest fall? What, what size banks? I mean, should this be, um, would this be applicable to community banks, you know, regional banks, large banks? What do you think?
1: Interestingly enough, I said community banks have the biggest advantage here because it's not that huge of a technology lift. There's a there's a there's a lot of um, barriers to entry in terms of understanding the space. But once you understand the space, in terms of coming up with solutions that can be implemented, it's not that heavy of a technology lift because the vendors are the ones that are going to provide that. In fact, a number of these vendors have already integrated with mobile banking providers with the processors, whether it's FISERV, FIS, NCR, allied payments, they've all got solutions out there now that you could roll out with this, making sure you've got the right solution. But the advantage is is that the community banks, some of the smaller ones, can implement this just as easy as one of the larger ones. And some of the larger ones are a little bit more conservative because they're working a little bit more closely with the Fed, or they've got a little bit more closer relationships with Treasury. And they may be getting a little bit more pushback in terms of rolling out a solution than maybe a community bank is going to get. And in fact, from a regulatory standpoint, there's nothing that is disallowing banks from getting into the space. In fact, there's been a number of uh, interpretive letters that the OCC has put out there allowing banks specifically, giving them guidance to get into the space. So we've seen, that i give you an example again, Bass Bank, they're about a $700 million business. From an asset standpoint, that's not that huge from a bank standpoint. So um, we're talking with financial institutions as small as two hundred million dollars that are looking to roll out crypto solutions. So you know, you could be fairly smaller. You could be a you know multi billion dollar institution. Uh, it would fit in, in any in any any of those scenarios.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned some of the smaller banks, the community banks, maybe a little bit more um, flexibility there, and we're seeing some creative activity that's interesting um so you said this launched officially i guess about a month ago lawrence is that correct what actually,
1: i think it was two, two or three weeks ago we've been soft launching it for a while because we've actually had crypto engagements now for well, i want to say three or four months
0: okay so what kind of interest are you seeing so far in the service
1: it, 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 it's huge i mean my my our biggest uh our biggest challenge is probably gonna be hiring enough people to help meet the demand. I mean, we've got a number of internal experts, but we are surprised at how much demand there is in the space, not just from an education standpoint, but again, developing those strategies, selecting the right vendors. Um, we've never seen anything like it before. I mean, I've, I've been in financial services 25 years. I've given presentations on everything from artificial intelligence to how do you manage your credit card portfolio. I've yet to have any presentation I've given that resonates like a crypto presentation. I can talk to any C-level individual and get their attention for as long as you want talking about crypto. Because people realize, I mean, it's a $3 trillion asset uh, asset base that really it, it it's grown over the course of 10 years to that all by itself. I mean, there's no... There's no central bank helping them along. There's no marketing teams. It was all grown organically. started with Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008, launched in the wild 2009. And again, that was a $3 trillion asset class, with decentralized finance being $110, 115000000000 billion asset class, doing exactly what banks do without any bank involvement. So banks realize not only is there a revenue opportunity, it's a pretty significant revenue opportunity. It's an opportunity to defend those deposits but also to stave off any sort of attack from decentralized finance and taking away the traditional business that traditional uh, finance has been involved in.
0: Yeah, Lawrence, if you can't beat them, right, join them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's something to that.
0: You've been listening to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News podcast. Thanks for your time, and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news and financial services. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice.